insert your own theme tune here. Hello, this is Nick. Nick Doody, uh, Citizens of Nowhere. I don't know if this is the first one that's going to go out from Edinburgh because it's not the first one we recorded. Uh, but I will explain things anyway. Um, I'm up at the Edinburgh Festival. Carrie is not. Uh, so I'm doing what we did last year, uh, interviews with uh, various people who've agreed to do interviews with us, uh, except it's just me and not Carrie. And uh, this time I'm with Andrew Doyle. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been to see a show and I've been shoe shopping today. That's more than I've done. I've done literally nothing. I haven't seen any shows since I've been up here at all, which is really bad. Not one? No, not one. It's not good. You're uh, in one. You've, I'm, I'm in one. I've seen one from the inside. I think it's just, I keep, because I haven't been here the whole time. I've been away. I've been in Northern Ireland. I've been in London and things. I haven't been here right. for the whole month. Because the, the, the show, I've, which is running the whole month, the Titania McGrath show, I'm not in it. So I don't have to be here. So I, just, I was just here at the start when it opened. Then I, then I fucked off. So you, you weren't watching it kind of every time? No. <laughs> That's what I, I missed, sadly. The intention was to uh, see that the other night. I saw your show, which was yeah. great. Um, if somebody doesn't know, uh, someone's listening, maybe you want to explain what Tani McGrath is. Yes. So she is a Twitter character who I invented in April of last year, um, who is a very sort of po-faced intersectional feminist. Um the sort of person who's very privileged, she comes from Kensington, she's got a lot of, um, in, she's independently wealthy, privately educated, uh, but nonetheless continually complains about how oppressed she is because she lives in a patriarchy and is constantly looking for things to be offended by. That's basically I mean, a very recognisable sort. Yeah. So, you know, that's who she is. That kind of sort of pushed into the absurd or, or beyond the absurd, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I do tweets from her and either they're, they're the sort of absurdist their jokes really or sometimes I'm trying to mimic exactly what people actually say and right. and, and like for instance when Ro- Rosanna Arquette the other day wrote, wrote a tweet saying I'm so ashamed to be white uh, I feel so much shame to be white I literally just cut and paste that tweet and put it out as Titania because it's exactly nice. and most people just thought it was a Titania tweet and then they realised it was it was a Rosanna Arquette tweet and it's that thing of the the the, 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 the thing that most people get angry about with Titania the people who hate it are the ones that say to me this is a straw man. There is no such person as this. But of course, if that were the case, why is it that every single tweet I send, lots of people think it's real? Right. And that can only be the case if it is real. If, if there is this sort of... And it is. I mean, look, we all know it. it, it this is just wishful thinking on their part. They know full well. You just have to pick up a, a copy of The Guardian to know that these people exist. You know, they're in the opinion columns every single day. So it's not, it's not really that far-fetched. Sometimes I put something out there that's extremely far-fetched. Um, right. But on the whole, it's, uh, I think it's... It's not a million miles away from what people are actually saying. Is it sort of in, in the region of um, the grievance studies hoax? Yeah, kind of stuff? exactly. It's sort of exposing that. Oh, oh that's the idea. Is that it's, it's exposing the hypocrisies of woke culture. That's the idea. And to, and to draw out its inherent contradictions. Um, you know, she, she embraces the contradictions. But um, what you'll find with sort of woke activists and social justice activists is that they they refuse to acknowledge the contradictions they just pretend they're right. not there but they 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 embody them you know Did, where would you describe yourself on the political spectrum if you or, or let's do it as a compass it's so a left yeah. to right authoritarian I, to libertarian i've done the political compass test okay, so i come, come i come out bottom left next to gandhi um which makes me as good as him um i'm basically Lib- I'm, I'm dressed similarly. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly today. Um, 
I'm yeah, I'm I'm very far on the left, and I'm very uh, far on the libertarian scale. Uh, so I, I would say, well, libertarian. I, I you know I don't think that's a helpful term because I think when people think libertarian, they think economically libertarian, which isn't me. Yeah, not the same thing at all. No, so I'm I I, I think it's about liberty. About li- I'm a liberal basically, so I'm liberal. Right. In, in you know, and I'm I I believe the state has no business interfering in people's private lives. I believe the state has no business censoring uh, its citizens or the press. Or anyone else certainly has no business arresting people and investigating people for what they say, which is what we currently do as a matter of routine. I think it's nine people a day are arrested in this country for things they've said online. Um, Three thousand three hundred in the last year. Yeah, that's I, right. I know from Constantine Kissing Australia. There we go. Um, and so I'm I'm I, I I'm pushing through Titania. I'm pushing liberal values. Basically, that's what right. it's, that's what it's all about. And. Um, which makes it quite funny when someone like oh, there was an article on Chortle talking about the contrarians of the fringe. And it talked about the people who are pushing back against liberalism. And I'm doing the opposite, of course. I'm, I'm advancing liberalism. But right. I, I guess, you know, if you're not clear on what the definition of liberalism is, you can, yeah, you yeah. can make those kind of false statements. But then I'm also left-wing insofar as, you know, I believe in um, your standard left-wing principles, of, you know, of, of internationalism, of uh, I'm, not, I'm not nationalist. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm for um, individual sovereignty, sovereign, sovereignty as, a, as a priority, but also... Uh, collective action um, I believe in the welfare state wealth redistribution through taxation but not to an egregious level just to, to, right. as a kind of just in a proportionate way so all of those things are you know that makes I am I am left wing um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with being right wing and if there are and, and, and I'm and I'm certainly not left wing because I'm ideologically driven as in if 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 there are elements of conservative thought that I would agree with, I'll just go with those as well. I, in fact, I do. I think it's, when it comes to education and the arts, I think I have a more conservative mindset. Um, I, I don't. What I don't do is say I'm on the left, and therefore I think this, 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 and right. this. Because if you do that, you're not a free thinker anymore. You're just you're just going with the herd, and I find that a bit scary. Yeah, I agree. So you haven't bought the package. You... I think just um, yeah, just if you if you summed up my views, just objectively speaking, they are on the left, but. That's not to say I am close-minded to right-wing perspectives, it, as and when they, they come. Does that make sense? It, it makes a lot of sense. There's a great um, article, which I'll try and find for you at some stage, if you're interested, um, written, by, uh, it's written by an American libertarian. Yeah. So he's starting from his first principles, where he says, I, I think that liberty is probably the most important value. Yeah. And then he goes, well, hang on, but we've got this organisation called the Cato Institute, which says which are the freest countries yeah. every year, but they're all countries I would consider almost socialist. Right. So it, it seems that objectively the most freedom the individual gets is when the state is actually kind of kind of big and there's a decent welfare system, there's a big social safety net, there's probably some sort of socialised medicine. Yeah. And that's that's a thing I think that especially American libertarians, as you said, economic libertarians, yeah. haven't really usually got their head around is that being poor really impinges on your liberty exactly exactly and 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 the welfare state and the nhs these things are not threats to individual liberty are they then no. you know they're, they're just not well the phrase I mean, is rousseau had that phrase that the um, the law forbids to the rich man and the poor man equally the right to sleep under the bridge at midnight yeah yeah absolutely people know that you you need to be poor to to understand what that what that's like i right. think you need to you need to have understood you know, I, I remember when I went through, I, I've never been poor, uh, you know, but I, I remember when I stopped teaching, was just doing stand up and 
you know, it was there were days when I would literally have to choose between getting a bus into town or buying lunch, and I didn't, right. I wasn't able. I was always in so much debt. I was always, um, I just, it, you just didn't have the option to do things, and that, whilst that's not poverty, it does remind you that you know, that it explains why people liked Tanya McGrath and the kind of very privileged uh, Guardian Easters who she's satirising, but why they they they. They want to see the world through identity politics in terms of race, gender and sexuality. And those are the only concepts of oppression they can understand because they don't have any conception of what it's like to be poor. Of what The true oppression, if there is oppression in this country, is down to economic inequality. That's really where it all stems from. And that's not something they can appreciate. or, or that's, I suppose they're, they're not in a position to acknowledge that because to do so would be to undermine themselves. There's a bit in your show where you say uh, the left is dead. Yeah. How far? Do, how far does that reflect what you really think? Not really at all. Not at all. No, I just think I, I, what I mean by that, I suppose, is that <coughs> the majority of people who identify as left wing are nothing of the sort. That's what I mean by that. So um, most of the say comedians on the circuit who say they're left wing aren't really. They're they're leftist. They're identitarians. They're um, Blairite, really. They, right. they, they're pro-EU, so, I mean, there's nothing left-wing about that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, they, they're not really left-wing. You know, you'd have to be... You'd have to be supportive of all the things that I've just described, but you'd also have to oppose the kind of oligarchy you see in the EU. You'd have to, you'd have to care about class, class struggle, cl- the class struggle above and beyond anything else. Right. You'd have to recognise that um, privilege is rooted in money beyond all other things and that is not which to... is very rarely talked about now when people yeah. say when people say privilege now they're as often talking about your um your gender identity or your skin color yeah i mean like let's take the gay rights thing i mean it, you know it, it's very easy and it costs you nothing to to put a gay rainbow flag up and and advertise how how you support gay people right but we live in a country where pretty much everyone supports gay people and and uh, you don't need to advertise that anymore. I mean, we know this is the case. The corporations during Pride plastering that flag absolutely everywhere because they know they they get money out of it. I live in Hampton Bridge, so I'm... <laughs> right. Well, that yeah, okay, <laughs> fine. Couldn't fine. be more the case. Right. Although you know, but then I've been in Belfast during Pride, where where they still don't have uh, equal marriage, right? But the, the right. flags are still being used by corporations up there: Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester. The you know, it's not it's not the case that it's just rooted in London now. Um, the, the and the, and the the very fact that corporations do this shows the need shows why it's no longer necessary you know we that, that, that at some point you've just got to say we won that one it's done and that isn't to suggest that homophobia isn't around still um but it's no longer mainstream it, it, you know if you're openly homophobic you're not going to get jobs you're not going to you're going to be treated like a pariah yeah uh, rightly so and um so that's one now we've sort of done it so let's retire it is that okay? If that's the case, are there any in the, the increasingly long list of letters? Yeah, we have uh, to with stop the plus that. At the end of it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so, yeah. I mean, and there are so many variations of this. So, at the moment, but what I was going to what I was going to ask is it that there's a series of battles that have pretty much been won. Yeah. So we're starting to tack on some new battles. Yeah. That haven't necessarily been won. Yeah, exactly. But also might not be necessarily totally equivalent battles. They're not equivalent. They're not remotely equivalent. I mean, even the LGBT acronym isn't accurate insofar as lesbians, gay people, bisexual people, transgender people have 
massively different experiences, right. different struggles. And, and even within those groups, every individual has a different experience, right? It's unhelpful to just bandy everyone together, to, put, to pretend that it's a community. It's not. It's, it's a, 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 a way to... It's another way to just to divide people up. And also it creates a lot of resentment. I mean, it isn't just LGBTQIA+. There's now other variations on that. And I see people arguing on Twitter saying, you missed out the double H, or you missed out, right. the, like, you know, this is offensive, this is, you know. And 99% of people look at that and think, this is bullshit. And 99% of people find it, find it really off-putting and resentful. And all it does is, is, is generate a lot of resentment towards, towards gay people, actually. It's, 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 I think it's, we've seen in London a rise in, um, in uh, homophobic hate crime. And, and I have to say, I think this is probably part of it. Like, like we've, what more do we want? We've got complete, total equal rights. Right. We can do whatever we want. Um, we all deplore anyone attacking or abusing gay people on the street or anything like that. That is now a given. So, so what? Do, what more can we do other than just when those those isolated, rare incidents happen, we apply the law and deal with it? What more do we, can we do? I, you know, the only thing I can think that we could probably still do more of is is maybe in schools, maybe in terms of education. Um, but in terms of in terms of everything else, I think we're pretty much there. There was a lovely moment on uh, Question Time, which is a phrase you don't get to hear very often, mm. um, from Sheffield, where somebody brought. Um, there was the question about you know there there been some protests in Birmingham about about, uh, about whether uh, parents, in particular, in particular, some Muslim parents, yeah. have the right to kind of stop their kids. Uh, getting sex education if the sex education uh, talks about homosexuality in it. Yeah. And what was lovely and felt like real progress is that it's there seemed to be pretty much 100% consensus in the audience that, of course, they should be fucking taught about homosexuality. It's, it's part of the human experience. Yeah. It would be weird not to tell them. Yeah. And there was one guy who said, well, I, you know, I'm quite a conservative Muslim, so can we leave it till they're seven or eight? Right. Which, you know... Don't agree with, but for that to be the outlying conservative viewpoint, I thought felt like real progress. I don't think, yeah, I mean, it, it is. I don't think you need to talk. I don't think you need to teach kids about homosexuality. As far as just just don't censor yourself when it comes to talking about the reality of human experience, yeah. right? So it's 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 just a thing that is out there, and you shouldn't ignore, right? So, and I don't think. But what was confusing me about that, I wasn't sure to what extent the. Um, the syllabus they were describing was... I don't think it was an overly sexualised syllabus, was it? It was just... Oh, well, surely not. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know is the, is the truth. And I, I think, think it was a sexual relationships thing. And it was right. also the coverage of gay relationships. I mean, if you were going to do sex education and you didn't mention the fact that not all people sleep with people of the opposite gender, that would be weird, wouldn't it? That would just be sort of, yes, a, it's, it's a, a, sort of a neglectful sort of thing. Um, but it also would have totally been the norm 20 years ago. Oh, totally. This is the other thing that people forget. I mean, the... The viciousness of the woke movement, the way that they bully people online and, and, and uh, harass people, is, is based on this idea that people should just change their mind instantly. Right. I and mean, if we go back 15 years, the major political players in this country in America all thought same-sex marriage was wrong, and that was a given. Now, if you say that, you can become a pariah in such a short space of time. Yeah, yeah. And well, it, well uh, Obama running for president for the first time versus Obama's second term. There we go. Perfect. Right. So so you've just got to... It's It's... You've got to give people time and you've got to be able to uh, allow people to be persuaded not to be harassed and 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 certainly criminalizing certain forms of language uh, when it comes to talking about minorities isn't going to help that process speed up any quicker it's going to, it's going to actually slow it down that's interesting do you think so this push this push to 
police language and to have everyone be on what you deem the correct page right now. Yeah. Do you think that the people behind that bear any responsibility for what we might term the rise of populism? Oh, of course. I mean, um, they are the reason Trump got elected, without a doubt. So, And they are the reason he'll get elected again. Um, it's a reaction to huge swathes of, of working class people being told that they are privileged, that they've got right. everything, that they are in control, and they've got nothing. They've literally got nothing. And so they want to explode the system. And that's... Um, and you would have thought after the, when Trump was elected, you'd have thought the, the left or the, the people who call themselves left would have, what we call the bourgeois left, would have realised that they, they caused this. But they, did, they just doubled down and made it even worse. And we, it's actually getting to the point where things are even more ridiculous. I mentioned in the show about the Women's March this year in California being cancelled because the organisers were afraid too many white women would turn up. You know? <laughs> now, at what point does that, how can that possibly play well with it? Like we know that identity politics never wins unless you're talking, well, look, I mean, Trump played a form of identity politics, arguably, because, you know, he's a nationalist and he was pushing for, and certainly that sort of xenophobic uh, uh, identity politics is the domain of the, of the right. But you don't solve that or combat it by inaugurating a leftist identity politics. You know, they, they, you just, it, it never works. It won't work. There's a really good book called The Once and Future Liberal by Mark Liller, which talks exactly about this, that if the Democrats want to be in power, if the left in this country wants to be in power, you have to ditch identity politics. You, you, if you split the electorate up and start saying you're going you're gonna to help each individual group in their own way, um, you don't get that sense of unity that's required to win an election. So, yeah, it's, it's, if, the, if the left want to have any hope of survival, they have to ditch all this nonsense, basically. But I, that, I agree, but I also have had next to no luck persuading anyone on the left of this. You won't because... You, it, you get that sort of, well, no, well, pardon me for opposing racism... But we all oppose racism, and there's yeah. nothing special. The, 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 um, the, yeah, and you won't get it because of the, because of the economic advantages that middle-class people have. Like, so if, if 7% of our country is privately educated, but they are the ones who control the media, the arts, journalism, law, everything, the government, they are overly represented in all of those spheres. So the opinion formers and the people who have the cultural clout, even if they don't have the numbers, um, tend to be very bourgeois, um, tend to be people who therefore have a, an interest in advancing identity politics related to, to sex, gender and sexuality and race rather than money because they've got money. They don't really <coughs> care about that. Um, and that's, that's, that's the problem. That's why you'll never, you'll never persuade them. Otherwise, whilst those people are still in power, things won't change. Um, but, you know, they won't win because they don't have the numbers. No, well, well I mean, it's, it's a game being... That, that strategy of playing the game is guaranteed mm. not to let you win, yeah. especially just fucking two-party state. Yeah, I mean... Which, like, is, which is what a first-past-the-post system produces and what America is anyway. Yeah, so, God, we have to get rid of that, don't we? I, I think, like, it's, it's, Absolutely. It's fundamentally yeah, yeah. undemocratic, and it's that thing of... You know, in 2015, when UKIP won, came third, and they won four million votes, and they got one seat. Mm. And, of course, part of you think... I mean, I don't, I'm not a fan of UKIP because I'm not a nationalist, but part of me at the time thinks, oh, that's good, I'm, I'm glad... But then if, my, if you're going to be consistent about your principles, actually, no, they should have had more seats in Parliament than the SNP, certainly. They should have had a, a, a few, well, I forget how many it was, but it, was, it should be, well, I think they should have like four MPs, five MPs. More than that, that, more than that. I mean, the SNP had 52, was it 53, on the basis of a, a tiny share of the vote? Maybe it depends, yeah, maybe it depends how you're measuring it. I, th I think... But also, I th people vote differently, right? If you, if, you, if you know that your vote is going to be counted properly, yeah. you, you don't protest vote. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, look, I think, yeah, we just need a proper um, 
proportional representation is what we need. Yeah, uh, basically. I, I agree and, and, completely, I think. And that, that unfortunately will mean that maybe parties I don't like will have more MPs, but that you've got to be consistent about this stuff. Yeah, and also, but also that's not an argument. The argument, oh, it, it, uh, the problem with that is it's going to be more sensitive to the will of the people. Yeah, that's exactly. That's the fucking point of the system. Yeah, yeah. But we know that we know that we you know we have a parliament that doesn't trust the people, and and you know are, are, are at the moment are doing what is dangerously close to a coup uh, against against the people, and that and, and this is we are in a dangerous situation now for democracy. I think at the moment the big question of our time is whether we are going to be a democracy or whether we are not going to be a democracy. And, and so therefore Brexit, whatever you think about Brexit, is actually no longer the issue. It's, it, it, you know, we have to get Brexit. It's, it's something... Sorry, go on. Well, I'm, I'm just saying we, we have to get Brexit over the line quite simply for the sake that we need to be in a, a democracy. Otherwise, there's no point. Um, it, it, it's less about the rights and wrongs of Brexit now. And it's more about the way in which Parliament are rewriting the Constitution as they go along. You've got John Burkow just... Well, writing it as well. Writing it. John, John, John Burkow literally making it up as he goes along, with, with even his advisors telling him this is not uh, constitutional. He just does it anyway because he's a Remain activist. So we are in very we are in danger of becoming... An, uh, 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 I mean, we already are. Our democracy is not perfect. We have a shoddy system <laughs> because we, we don't have a written Constitution and we don't have proportional representation. But we've got something... We've got, we've sort of got something at the moment which we're about to lose the last shred of if, if uh, Joe Swinson and Jeremy Corbyn and their cabal can get together and just over, overturn Parliament. That, yeah, it's a scary time. That's really extraordinary. Because um, I think I probably, I would have thought you and I agree there's a pretty big overlap that Brexit might be one of the places we don't. But I, I just find it fascinating. I cannot see a way through easily either. Well, no deal is the way through well, no, no deal is probably the most likely outcome now, but it's also, it's also, uh, it, it, are we going to get a parliament that allows that? And if we don't, then then what happens? We have well, this general, only, general election. Well, the only way parliament cannot allow which is a it proxy is, for no deal, you know. Well, the, the only way parliament cannot allow it is if they perform what is a putsch, essentially, that they they turf out the government and they in, mm. install an emergency government. That's the only way they're going to be able to do it. Um, well, I don't know if they can do that. I don't know if, I mean, even if they vote, have a vote of no confidence, the Fixed Term Parliaments Act means that uh, Johnson is under no obligation to call a general election immediately. By the time, I mean, just looking at the scheduling, the timetabling, he can get beyond October 31st before anything happens. So I, I don't know. Yeah. So unless they do something very, very drastic, I mean, they're even talking about calling the Queen in or sending the Queen over to Brussels. Um, to getting the Queen to fire Boris Johnson. These are people who are claiming to be standing so up for democracy. Strange. This is not democracy. They are basically, <laughs> they are Emperor Palpatine in the Senate. That's what these people ha. are. It's weird to me. I mean, the Liberal Democrats can fuck off, frankly. They, 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 should, they cannot call themselves Democrats anymore. They're not. They're anti-Democrats and they're illiberal. So they could they just change your name and be honest or just get the fuck out of politics. The thing I find is because I, I was initially against the idea of any kind of second vote and then I started do, trying to do the kind of um, like Condorcet test maths yeah. of, how, all right, of the things you might want. Say you have a series of preferences. Yeah. So say my preference is uh, Norway stay out of the Stein Agreement, yeah. uh, followed by my second preference of Remain, or my third preference of Canada, whatever, yeah. something like that. Then, then the referendum didn't. I had to guess what was most likely out of the possible leaves, yeah, and and judge that against my preference to remain and remain probably one something like that. 
and that's that, but that's true of people who voted leave as well. There'd be various people who just went, well, I hate this version of it, but or or I believe in a particular version of leave, and I trust that we're going to get it. And I suppose my initial reaction to the idea of a second vote was, well, you fucking had one. That, that's, well, yeah. <laughs> what what would it be about, and what's the re? You know, and wouldn't you just be split? Wouldn't you be changing the binary question into? one half of the binding question and splitting the second half. But in fact, you wouldn't be because you're giving you're giving all the same people you a wider range of choices. But you can't... A democracy cannot exist if the votes that they put to the public are to be ignored. So it's more about the precedent yeah. that is set. You, you, well, although the weird thing, of course, about a constitution is that there's a, no referendum is legally binding because there's something in Parliament. Yeah, so... They, so but, it's, it's just fucking weird to have them. Well, well, exactly. But once that decision was made, I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't have supported a referendum initially. I would have supported uh, installing a, a, or, or voting in a sincerely left-wing government that gets us out of the EU because they recognise it as being an anti-socialist, capitalistic enterprise. But um, if you have that referendum, if you outsource that decision to people, and if... Uh, I mean, it wasn't... Advi- the, 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 the argument that it was advisory is, is not a serious argument. As far as not a single... you know. Anyone who makes that argument isn't being honest. They can't be, or they just don't know about the situation. No, but not... also, I only realised recently that, that there just isn't such a thing as a legally binding referendum. There... You can make it legally binding through an act of but parliament. But there has to be an act of parliament. Yeah, so you, you, you have to specifically do it. But Exactly. And that's why, I mean, not a single, particularly on the Remain side, but no, but no one, no one in the campaign ever used that word advisory. The, no, the government, well, well, because they, they it went, wasn't. But it was also a manifesto pledged to abide by its result. Yeah, the government. So, yeah, the government spent ten million pounds sending leaflets out saying this is your decision. The government will implement what you decide. It could not be more explicit. And then, Parliament voted overwhelmingly to ratify and to trigger Article Fifteen, which proves it wasn't advisory because they. Well, that was the point at which they took the advice and it was done. So yeah, the, which the, is a mandate to do that. Yeah, the, the advisory argument yeah. is is a nonsense. No serious person makes that argument really. I had a bit in my Edinburgh show last year about um, this and and trying trying to present arguments I thought were bullshit on both sides. Yeah, and that was the one on the on the uh, Remain side. Was it yeah, just it's advisory? an easy one because almost no question is just advisory. No. Like, would you like would you like tea or coffee, and then I bring you a warm. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody thinks it is the point. No, I mean, no, no serious Remainer thinks that. It's just the extremists that, that go along those lines. Yeah. Um, I, I, so, so there's that, but also, it, it, also this this amnesia about people didn't know what they were talking about. People didn't know what they were voting for. I've never seen an electorate more politically engaged in my life. I've never seen just people out on the street talking about politics, talking about the issues, televised debates, months and months of debate where you heard every single side of the argument. <coughs> the idea that people didn't know whether they were more well-informed in this referendum than they've ever been for any general election I've ever seen. It, you know, it's, it's, a, it's such an obvious lie. And, and you can also check it. It's all on YouTube. That's a great thing. You can, you yeah, can yeah, check, well, you well, go well, back and Cameron watch. Cameron Osborne were consistently saying, uh, well, we, we'd lose access to the single market. Oh, it was... Uh, it and, could and, be and then months later, you go, well, people didn't realise we'd lose access to the oh single market. Oh, my God. <laughs> the biggest de- debate was the massive one that Dimbleby did in... What was it? Wembley Arena? It was a, it was a massive <laughs> debate. Springsteen opened. It, yeah, it may as well have. And um, they had... Uh, and it was on the BBC One prime time, the biggest viewed. And then... In the first five minutes, I think, of that, there's a video where they show you uh, what are the consequences of leaving the single market would be. Um, if you have this kind of forced amnesia, honestly, just Google it. 
It's there. Everyone knew what they were voting for. It's it's exactly the same thing that they they said about the Chartists when the Chartists were, were the working class Democrat movement, um, uh, uh, which which came out of the Peterloo massacre. Um, they were set, told they they had unripened wisdom. I think was the phrase. In other words, oh, the, lovely. The, the, they, they they didn't. The working people couldn't be trusted to vote because they don't understand what they're voting for. This is the exact same argument that's being made now by the by the political elites. Um. Walter Lippmann used the phrase the bewildered herd. That's great, isn't it? That's, that's, that's great. I only didn't know that through Chomsky, but it's still That's a really good phrase. The bewildered herd. Yeah, it's just basically I think and I think this is what the woke movement comes down to. The difference between where my my position is that I have a faith and optimism in humanity. And I think the woke movement and the faux leftists who are also identitarians have this uh, disdain for humanity and particularly disdain for the working classes. You know, they just don't trust them. This is why you'll get people saying you know, a dapper laughs shouldn't be able to joke about sexual assault because, of course, his audience is predominantly working class and they'll therefore go out like the little malleable beasts that they are and go out and perform rapes on everyone, right? So this mm. it's, it actually comes out of a disdain for normal people. Um, it's all right for Jimmy Carter to joke about it because his, his audience are predominantly working the middle class, so that's okay. So no one complained about that, but they'll complain about it when it's a working class act. And it's that... It's that and I, when I talk to my very bourgeois comedian friends or, or who about this stuff, it's, it comes absolutely clear to me that they feel that their role as, as performers is to entertain the masses. No, sorry, to educate the masses. That they've got to have the right political perspective. They can't have ambiguity. I've actually been told this by very prominent comedians. There's no room for ambiguity or irony in comedy anymore. Well, don't do comedy then, you twat. Like, this is not what comedy is about. It's not just a literal statement of what the little people ought to think. It's about making people laugh and, and, and playing with ideas. There's, oh, you just reminded me of two things. One was um, uh, something that Brian Conley... Brian Conley? That's a name I haven't heard for a while. I was working with him uh, on something, just sort of, sort of gagging something up that he was working on. And, um, and he, he said that he'd done something on telly and was yeah. told he couldn't do a joke. The lawyers had come in. So right. And he went and he asked, well, would Jimmy Carr be able to do that joke? And they went, oh, yeah. Wow, and he was just not able to get. Why not? And well, rightfully, of course, he shouldn't be able to. What? It's, uh, oh, you know, they don't. They don't believe. It's because I'm old school, isn't it? And yeah, yes, yeah, it is. they don't believe that people are able to watch. It's the same with things like Alex Jones on Infowars. If you really think that the majority of people who watch that show see him as anything other than a funny buffoon, then you're 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 kidding yourself. They're not being radicalised by it. But the, the people who like his stuff think he's funny and stupid. Um, yeah, so I mean, I assume some people are. I mean, not being radicalized, but there are people who just already exist in that in that insane bubble of sort of yeah, you know, sure, preparing for the zombie apocalypse. Are probably yeah, but you'll never get rid of uh, nutcases on the fringe, and and mm-hmm. you know the, the responsibility of what they think lies with them, and the choices they make lies with them, not with not with the material that they consume. I've forgotten what the second thing it reminded me of was. Oh, you had something in mind, did you? Yeah, yeah, did it. Oh, no, mind. Are we meant to be joking? And think? Is it a comedy podcast? Don't have to be. I was going to say, because I've been very serious. Yeah. Do you like me to, to like, lighten it up? Yeah, that's just... I tell you what, I'm so tired. I don't... some sound effects. I'm like, <laughs> and my, my brain isn't really in a comedic mode at the moment. And that's, that's a weird problem I've got at the moment. Because half of my job is the comedy side. And then half of my job is the political commentary side. <laughs> and, and so like, when, I, when I'm on TV talking about politics and, and they introduce me as comedian, but I never try and be funny... Um, and I think uh, you've now just reminded me what the second there thing we was. go. That's good. It was, it was dapper laughs. It was um, I, you know, have pretty much zero time for anything that man ever did creatively. Yeah, but I felt sorry for him when he was on Question Time. No, sorry, he was, sorry, he was yeah. on Newsnight. He was on Newsnight, yeah. And um, and being asked the question, 
is this funny? And I thought, no joke can survive being solemnly repeated by Emily Maitlis. No. Followed by, is this funny? No, exactly. It's not possible, is it? That was awful. That was a really patronising... Someone described her as behaving like a school mom. That's exactly what mm. it was. It was like this sort of... The, the, you know, the, a boy's made a mistake and he's got had to go to the headmistress's office. It was very much like that. Yeah. But, I mean, imagine any I, of us no. having to go on news night to defend your jokes to no audience. Also, what's wrong with, with some people just not finding it funny? Maybe, you know, yeah. so what? She didn't find it funny. So what? Lots of people did. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I, I'm actually not familiar with his work, really. I think I saw a bit of his TV show. It, it struck me as something that I wasn't interested in. So yeah. I just didn't... I, mean, I, like... I had zero interest in his work, but I happened to see that particular episode of Newsnight. Yeah. I mean, what I saw, the bit I saw of his show, where he, he was taking lads out to date, to teach them how to date... I can't remember what oh, it was called. the TV thing. And then, um, and the, that, that, that part of the show I saw, I mean, it was immediately clear within two minutes that this, you know, he's taken the piss out of that kind of lad culture. Yeah, yeah. It's, it couldn't have been clearer. Um, and yet, because we have this odd kind of, we're encouraged to have this odd kind of literal interpretation of comedy now, people thought he was endorsing it. Um, you know, even if he was, that, that's up to him. But I, it was clear from watching it that that's not what he was doing. I mean, it was really clear. You, you, you know, you'd have to approach it from a, from a really bloody-headed position to come at, come at a different interpretation, I think. The same, the same kind of bloody-mindedness that would lead uh, Nigel Farage to call for the police to investigate Joe Brand for a joke about throwing battery acid at, at him. Um, it's the same kind of thing. And I understand he that, probably that, took it personally. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's tribal signalling, though, isn't it, as well? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 um, that, that's, the, that's the same as when Corbyn almost certainly muttered stupid woman... And yeah, immediately, yeah. Was it was it was it Grant Shapps or somebody came out where well, this level of misogyny has no place in a modern political party? Yeah. Fuck off! Man. <laughs> you suddenly start caring about misogyny. I also love the idea that saying "stupid woman" is it was misogynistic. Matt Hancock, I think it was. Was it Matt Hancock? Okay, it's not misogyny anyway to say the phrase "stupid no. woman," right? Oh, that's another thing. I mean, like the, the kind of concept creep with these phrases. Misogyny means hatred of women. It's extremely rare. And, I mean, I can't name... I don't know any misogynists. And I'm not denying it exists. But again, yeah. the, the, the way in which it's promiscuously used just to mean any sort of represent... Like, I saw it about David Lynch, about the new Twin Peaks series, and someone was describing it as misogynistic because some of the female characters are on the receiving end of violence. But this is someone who... Yeah. You, and that's a very common thing now. You've seen it this week with the Quentin Tarantino film, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, being described as misogyny because Sharon Tate's character, played by Margot Robbie, doesn't have as many lines as some of the male characters. Someone's even done a sort of... They've counted all the lines that men and women have in his films. And this isn't misogyny. These are artistic no. decisions. They don't relate to a hatred of women, particularly and not... Until you said Sharon Tate, so I'm assuming it's about the Manson murders? Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a brilliant I, I film. expecting the Manson murders to pass the Bechtel test? <laughs> right, yeah. It's, well, actually, what's great about the film is... Um, it's it's not about them. They're the sort of backdrop. It's about an actor and his stunt double, played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, and in 1969. And it's that moment okay. where where Hollywood it has this kind of idealized sheen about it. And of course, the Manson murders around the corner. They changed everything. They changed right. absolutely everything. And you know it's going to happen. And it's leading up to this at, at the end of the film. And you see Sharon Tate at various points in the film. And there's a really beautiful, really powerful scene where Sharon Tate goes because she was at that moment where she was just becoming a star but she wasn't quite there right and she was she had all the ingredients of being a big star but she kept getting put into roles that were a bit silly or a bit camp or a bit slapstick right and she was in a film called the wrecking crew and there's a bit where she walks past the cinema and sees that the film is on 
and she goes up to the, the, the person in the uh, booth and says, can I, can I get in for free? Because I'm in the film. And there's something really charming about this. And then she goes in and watches the film and she's just loving the people's reactions to her performance. And it's really powerful. Well, but of course, but a criticism would be, well, she's not speaking very much. It's like this stupidity. <laughs> this like, but she only has 10% of the lines in the film. It's like, are right. you absolute philistines? If you don't understand that, that filmmaking and artistry is not all about, you can't quantify it down to the number of lines you have then you don't know, you're not in a position to make a serious judgment about this film. And yet this is mainstream judgment, by the way. This is mainstream publication. The New Yorker described it as a ridiculously white film. That's not a serious criticism. This is nonsense. And this is now mainstream considered respectable critique. It's not. It's, 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 it's infantile. Who is it? I don't really understand the criticism. Although maybe, maybe I'm missing something. What, so who, who, which dark-skinned characters have been overlooked? Well, it, well, they're fictional. It's about real people, but well, well, not. I don't, well, I, I mean, the, the Manson family were, as far as I'm aware, an all-white group of people. Mm. Um, the, the victims were all white. Um, the, the two characters that the film is about are white. Um, I, I remember it as uh, Manson's white, Adam's white, the Adam family, <laughs> right. Jackson 5 black <laughs> first. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the rule is. But, I mean, what a silly thing to say. What a silly! It was the it, it it was the same thing as when a number of criticisms about Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk film were about the poor representation of people of color, right? Well, Dunkirk was largely young white men. It yeah. just was, and I'm not saying that people of color weren't there because they were, but but if if you watch a film which is as powerful and and impressive as that, and you come out of that, and the only thing you can think to say is, well, there wasn't enough diversity, you're not a critic. You're an ideologue. Mm. Do something else. But that, that's now the first thing that occurs to people. Right, and that's why, that's why, I mean, I wrote an article about this recently about criticism has been lost to political prejudice. You know, w- w- the odd thing about a critic is you want their personal response. You do crave a personal response. And of course, politics can inform that. But if the critic is so blinded by their politics, as is the case with most comedy critics, then, then you don't get a serious critique of the piece. It doesn't exist anymore. You're just seeing someone uh, rehearse their own talking points. And that's right. not satisfying. That that makes bad criticism. That's that's the point. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a problem there, isn't there? That um, what used to be called virtue signaling, but I don't think that really does it justice anymore. Is if if you're now writing in public, mm. you do need to kind of kind of tug your forelock forelock to the the woke gods just to show that you're on site. Yeah, or you'll get shit for it. Exactly. That that's the thing about this powerful establishment and the, what this. I mean, what the Titania McGrath show is really about. Uh, which no one has yet picked up on, even the good reviews haven't really picked up on this, is it is about the way in which um, the woke movement legitimises bullying. That's effectively what it does. We are are getting in a serious situation where, to give a very prominent recent example, the conservative journalist Andy Ngo was attacked brutally by Antifa in America and uh, ended up with um, brain hemorrhage as a result. And we had mainstream people in the press in the media defending this attack or saying that he asked for it we had the, you know saying that he was asking for it because of some of his opinions this right. that and the, so what you have in a situation there are a group of white middle class people in balaclavas beating up a gay vietnamese immigrant because he has the wrong opinions and they're doing that to to to, uh, to attack supposedly white supremacy what a fucking joke you know but bottom yeah. line don't hit people or throw shit as a political no, rule, well, yeah. like, you know, you know, we've got this week Owen Jones who was attacked at, outside a pub. Obviously, there isn't a single person who would disagree that that is a horrible thing to have happened. But now he's using that. 
he's saying that those people were radicalized by mainstream press. What he means by that is the people he's going after, Daily Mail, The Sun. Um, and, well, maybe, okay, if it's true that the Daily Mail and The Sun are responsible for radicalizing people to attack Owen Jones, then I suppose people like Owen Jones and the Guardian columnists who have supported milkshaking and other things are responsible for the attack on Andy No. Maybe that is the case. I'd like to see some evidence for it before I, before I blunder yeah. in in the way that he is. My, my show in Edinburgh this year is called I Will Milk You. Right, okay. It's been misinterpreted as being about... It's very sexual. It's very sexual. Yeah. It's, it's a pornographic... When I, get, when I really get down to it. Yeah. So. <laughs> I hope you've got a warning. It sounds, gr- it sounds absolutely vile. But it's, it, you know, it's, it's called... It's a reference to my attempt to put fake warnings on my right. previous year's show. One of them was uh, sort of things like non-consensual baptism, right. <laughs> uh, forced milking, and they just wouldn't let me put these obviously fake warnings on. So, look, I know that every now and then you're going to get people throw milkshakes or whatever, right? You're going to get... Yeah. There have always been, you know, people get eggs thrown. There's always been that element. But we've always all, all all agreed, haven't we, that that's infantile, that that's what kids do. That's what people who aren't politically literate do. Uh, and, and now we have people in, in, in major political and media outlets saying that this is actually a good thing to do. Um, it's not. But it, it's, it's just that's the... That's the ingredients-based end of is it okay to punch nazis yeah but if you right. break it down i mean unless are you meaning literal like an army of a nazi-run country is invading and they're yeah. kicking your door down no you don't mean that you mean somebody who i have decided is a nazi right first exactly of all. that's the problem is the people who claim that it's okay to punch nazis are the very same people who don't know what the word nazi means that's a worry mm. you know they, i mean they 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 decide what nazi means and what they really mean by nazi is is someone who disagrees with them that's what they mean somebody was shot in, uh, I forget which state it was in, a couple of years ago, someone was um, shot not long after this, uh, you know, the big Nazi punching thing. Yeah. Um, at a rally because they had what that person had misseen as a swastika tattoo. Right. Well, which was, in fact, an anti-fascism tattoo. They had a swastika with a line through it. I didn't, it looks, no, it no looks similar, here. doesn't it? But they just saw the... Yeah, yeah. Someone shot them. Well, this is why it's a good rule of thumb not to shoot people. Not to shoot people. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, or it's, throw it's, things at them or yeah. hit them. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. And it's... It, what, uh, no, it's not bizarre that people do it because people will always behave badly. What is bizarre is, is mainstream support for it from, from politicians and journalists who should know better. What about... Okay, what about uh, no platforming? Yeah, it's a disaster. It always has been. I mean, the, the the original idea of no platforming was a kind of guideline for universities to not have Combat 18 or the, or the or neo-Nazis come and, you know. Mm. But, but you wouldn't invite them anyway because they're not serious political people. Um, also, but that's, isn't that a bit different? Like, just not invite, not inviting them from square one yeah, exactly. isn't the same as disinviting people. Disinviting is a weird thing, isn't it? I think, uh, and of course now, let's be honest, the no platforming idea is being used largely to, to avoid opinions that are considered controversial um, particularly in universities um, and it's often preemptive this is the problem so you know you can look at the statistics about no platforming and you can say well look actually this is very rarely applied uh, but it doesn't need to be because it's preemptive so so in, it means that people don't get invited in the first place now so you have this situation in universities where where people don't want to be challenged which is the opposite of the purpose <laughs> for going to university it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a real it's a real worry, and and I have to emphasise this because I think the thing that I'm always accused of saying is, which I mention in the show, is I apparently say you you can't say anything anymore, and I, I mention this explicitly right. because I've never said that, and and I don't think it's. Well, you that. can't. No, no, there we go. <laughs> um, 
but what I feel is happening is we are, we are creating a, cli a climate, a culture where people are worried about what they say and they're worried about being misinterpreted. Um, and, and so therefore they don't joke openly anymore. They joke over WhatsApp instead because it's safer, because they don't get prying eyes. They, uh, and, and that is not healthy for anyone. I mean, forget about the comedy industry for a moment, but it's, but it's not good for the comedy industry because people obviously are, are self-censoring to a huge degree. But but mm. not sent not being censored. I need to emphasise this. Like no one's saying to comedians you can or can't say this. Apart from when the state arrests people for telling jokes, but they're normally not professional comedians at the moment. Right. Although we have had the investigation against Joe Brown, which sets a bit of a dodgy precedent, uh, and I wonder where that will go. Um, but if you yeah, I mean if you can't see, I mean at the moment we're we're criminalising and occasionally imprisoning people for making jokes on their own private Facebook and stuff like that. Okay, so that's happening. If you can't, and then there's the Count Dankula case where someone who makes an obvious joke ends up with a criminal record. If you can't see that this this will eventually spread to professional comedians, then you're, you, and, and, and the Joe Brown thing is the first step. Now we have an actual police investigation into an obvious joke. And if you can't see that this is going to keep getting worse, then, then I, I can't help you because, I mean, it's so obvious, that trend. I mean, this, this feels like a kind of wave that comes and goes from different directions. It feels like, you know... I, been going long enough that I remember there being investigations kind of from the right into left thing and, and it's yeah it's it's anyone yeah. who offends their personal sensibilities you things like the Mary Whitehouse case against the gay news the uh, the, the blasphemous oh, poem the, the, gay, yeah, yeah, the yeah. gay poem or for instance um the Labour's new Labour's attempt to push through the uh now what was it called it was a, it was a parliamentary act that would it would effectively mean that if someone blasphemed or said something that was offensive towards a religious minority, that minority could complain to the police and the show would effectively be shut down pending investigation, right? Yeah, that, and that almost passed by, by a very few that's votes. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah, right? And, and what, what's weird, though, is back then, I mean, you go back whenever that was. God, I wish I could remember, so I'm a bit tired. Um, that the, the comedians, on the whole, were massively against You remember Roman Atkinson did a famous um, campaign against it. Yeah. Comedians pretty much... All comedians were vocally against this, but now we have, the, you know, we have the courts pursuing this 2003 Electronic Communications Act and, and criminalising people and investigating people routinely for jokes. And comedians are silent about it. And people have... Ch so something's happened in the interim. So whereas we had a kind of consensus in comedy that the art form needs to be protected, now we have a, a woke consensus, a woke establishment that actually thinks comedy should be, uh, there should be parameters to comedy and people shouldn't overstep the marks. And that's a really sinister development. That's what, that, what it feels like to me is that it's now very rare to see people who will defend a principle when mm. the example that, of that principle needing defending is yeah. something that they don't feel is helpful to their tribal it, identity. It, exactly, exactly. And that's the problem. I, you know, I don't subscribe to tribal identity. People could try and put me in a tribe. That's what they want to do, you know, so, so they'll say, well, you're in the right, you're on the right, you're, you know, and, and it's factually wrong, but they'll do it anyway, because, it, you know, that's, the, that's their sort of simplistic way of looking at the world. And, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think, sure, with, with, with jokes, uh, well, with anything, we need to have the courage to stand up and say, to say the unpopular, to defend the unpopular person, you know, to say, I don't like Katie Hopkins or what she stands for, what she says, but as soon as the police are investigating her for something she said, I'm going to have to stand up and say that's wrong. And the simplistic response to that is, oh, well, you're a fan of Katie Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but that... Why are you defending her? Right. Because, because I believe, because I believe in my freedoms. Yeah. Because I know that my freedoms are only guaranteed when she has hers. That's why. And, that, you know, there is a level of self-interest here as well. And also, you know, Stalin and Hitler were all for the free speech they liked. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's not a test of your commitment to free speech to defend something that you agree with. No, no, you never have to defend a non-controversial point. You'll never have to do that. So, because no one's trying to silence it. <laughs> so is that, it? you You must be accused of being on the right all the time now. Routinely, yeah. Um, not even you... an accusation, sometimes there's a compliment. So sometimes, I, like, oh, right. there, was, there, was, there was someone after the show the other night came up to me and said, it's just so great that there's a right-wing comic who's just saying what you're saying. And I, was like, and I said, well, I'm not actually right-wing. And you can <laughs> see how upset he was, like he was crestfallen. Um, and it's I don't. Because his tribe, right? It's his tribe, but look, and like I say, and I always, I have to keep emphasising this. A lot of people on the left have turned the phrase right wing into a slur or conservative. I don't think it is. I don't think there's a problem with being right wing. I don't, I don't, I don't have an issue with it. I just, I'm just not. <laughs> That's all. And you know, but yeah, I am painted into that. Uh, and actually, the irony of that is, of course, I'm much further left than most of the people who call me right wing. Right. But because they yeah. don't really know what left and right means, they, they're, they're happy in their, their stupid definitions. Well, it's, it's, it's no longer about restructuring anything that's <laughs> no that has money in it. Right, exactly. Pretty exactly, much. exactly. That's, it's very interesting hearing you talk about that stuff because you... Um, this would be a glib way of saying it. It's like sort of Marx meets Tanahisi Coates and they have a fight, right? Because you've used the word bourgeois several times, which to me is... Well, you just don't hear that word anymore. Don't you? I, I mean, maybe, maybe maybe it's the circles I move in. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you you automatically think. But you know what I mean. That's I know. Sort of, that's sort of a communist manifesto. Yeah, I know. But I guess I, I'm not. I'm not meaning this as a. As no, a it's fine. I, I think that's. I suppose it's a good way to describe it, though, isn't it? I would have thought it's the right way to describe it. Yeah, may well. It's be. not anachronistic insofar as there is still a bourgeoisie. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, I think it's okay. Um, I, I mean, I take that point if you think there's a better term I should use, but... I, well, because middle class is such a sort of... Well, the problem is that doesn't Go mean, to... I don't know what that means anymore anyway, because because even poor people can be middle class. And even... like, like sure. I, When I was growing up, middle class meant your parents were like lawyers or or doctors. Right. It meant it meant privately educated. It meant, You know, and I think... I don't think people think that now, do they? I don't... I, no. Because you, you, you're saying you're sure that your mum was a cleaner... She was, yeah, yeah. She yeah. actually, she. Did, did, you, did you go to Oxford? Is that the? I no, I did a my. Bit about you applying. I did my doctorate at Oxford. Ah, okay. Um, I I did. Um, no, no, no. That's just for a joke. Right, right, right. I, no, no, yeah, I did, but, yeah. The, but the reason I because uh, my dad was a teacher and I'm one of seven kids. Yeah. So uh, I'm definitely middle class because of the number of books in the house. But we yeah. Had, but we had no fucking money. Didn't get yeah. a car until I was quite a bit older and things like that. We didn't have many books in the house. We had ABBA records, which was great. Um, but we, so we only had two records but like <laughs> we, we, had, we had Oklahoma and Bridge Over Troubled Water that, that's not so, bad so to this day I have people go oh you'll know this song and I, I won't <laughs> I will not know it um, no my I, I, no what my, my parents split up when I was young and uh, yeah my, my mum made a living cleaning ironically I suppose she used to clean ironically yeah, she, she used to just trash it and then... Uh, no, joke. Uh, no, ironically, she used to quit clean for a, uh, a Tory MP. And, right. and yet a lot of the... Uh, anyway, anyway, look, I won't go into that. Actually, it's not really fair to talk about her. Um, but, uh, but, it, but, it, but I do feel... I mean, I was looking back. When I was a teenager, and I, went, I remember getting paid to serve drinks at this MP's house because they were having like a, a, okay. like, um, a soiree and everything. And, 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 the, and, the, and the kids were there and they were... And you know that there's the in a posh big house, you know, and and you know that the the kids who were going around there that were were the Titanis of today, you know, and they'd be yeah. they'd be looking at me saying, "Look at that white privileged white male, give us another glass of champagne," you know, and it's that kind of 
it's that lack of self-awareness of of the bourgeoisie yeah <laughs> I'm the, the, use the, the reason again. i asked you is because I, I you know from that background we had a really good teacher at our school i was like a comprehensive catholic school yeah. in bradford and uh we our french teacher just thought that some of us should try and apply to oxford i ended up going to oxford for this school yeah and then you mix with people who don't understand why you're asking how much the meal is going to yeah cost. yeah exactly exactly i I've had, i had that experience as right. well right that's what I, was, I was wondering if you might have a, a sort of similar Oh, I had that when I was doing my doctorate. Is that because I was I was funded? I couldn't have done it. I was funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Board, but I also had to work as a receptionist at the National Blood Service, which was horrible because I, I hate the sight of blood. Actually, I said oh, wow. I, I said I would only do it as long as I didn't have to see any blood. And I promise you, on my first day, <laughs> someone put two bags of blood on the desk. Said, "Well, oh, someone's going to collect them in a minute." I was like, "I can't do this." Um, <laughs> So, but, but, but my friends... What do you even do with a bag of blood when somebody hands it to you? What's the I, I mean, I just, didn't, I just didn't even look at it. It's just, it's so gross. Pass it to the left. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, they, yeah, and the friends I had there, lovely people. Like, I, you know, it feels, like, it feels like I've got a chip on my shoulder about wealth. I haven't. Lovely people, but they were independent millionaires, right? So they just didn't get the fact that I, I, I couldn't afford the things they could afford. They had no conception of it. And, yeah, and my, my entire university life was like that. Yeah. And not everybody I knew was really well off, but so many of them were yeah. that you... Ju- and they just didn't... It was like the fucking... There's some common people. Is that, yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah. not understanding that I have £15 left to the end of the month. Yeah. And... There's no more coming. It's just not there. Yeah. This is the this is the thing I was saying about getting a bus or getting a lunch. I li- it's not like you can borrow anymore. I've already borrowed too much and I'm I'm already in debt. I can, there, yeah. No one will lend me anymore. I, I've I've run out of people to ask for money from. You know, it's that's never going to happen to a Titania McGrath. That's never no. going to happen to her. She will never experience that. And that's not to say she couldn't understand it if she just applied her mind. Like like rich people can understand. Like you know, some of the best socialists, Tony Benn, would have understood this concept, right? right. Even though he came from a, what was a millionaire family, wasn't it? You know, so basically sure. aristocrat. Um, so it's not impossible, um, but it is some. It is a common thread uh, when when you see people like Munro Bergdorf, who's the the LGBT advisor for Labour, talking about how you can be homeless and have white privilege. That can only ever really be said by uh, someone as successful and rich as her. Really? Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing... That, 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 to me, is almost like the thing you should point at to say this is the problem with intersectionality. Yeah, sure. And, and But, again, not a fringe thing. Mainstream, very mainstream, has, has a major platform and, and now works for Labour. Um, so if it was just on the fringes, that would be one thing, but I'm afraid it infects... Everything. This is the other thing, you know, like, the woke movement, for all its minorities, it's a very small number of people. They infect everything. They dominate the quangos that the government outsourced. They, we saw this last week with the Advertising Standards Authority <coughs> banning adverts with gender stereotyping because they're oh, yeah. a, it's a woke quango that make those decisions. Really, the government needs to scrap that. It has to. Kerry and I did an episode of this podcast about the uh, new guidelines by the Advertising Standards Authority and they were based, uh, they were based on nothing. They, they, no, they did this sort of uh, market research type thing when they asked people what they reckoned. Do you think it... So there's no science behind it. No, there's there's no it's a faith. That, that's, that's why I always call the woke movement a cult, because it's a faith-based position. And again, it's that lack of faith in humanity. They think if they show a car advert with a woman next to a pram, that implies that women can be mothers. Uh, which is a bad, dangerous sort of thing to imply. And that, that, <laughs> they did ban that advert because there's a woman at one point next to a, a pram. Um... 
you know, which is why I, I did a tweet as to Tanya saying I saw a woman with a pram on the street. I went up and shouting at, shouted at her for perpetuating gender stereotypes. And, right. But it is that simplicity. It is that kind of, but it is a faith-based position because the data tells us the opposite, right? This is something that the woke lot have never grappled with, including in the comedy world. They talk about how we have to send the right message, the right political message, otherwise the masses are going to be influenced in a negative way, which, by the way, is the identical argument that Mary Whitehouse was pushing back in the 80s and 70s. But nevertheless, let's move beyond that. Right. There, the, the, there have been six decades of research into this principle, which is called media effects theory. A lot of research has gone into this. We know that there's nothing in it. We know that mass media consumption does not broadly affect um, the way that the public behaves. So that the data is in on that. So if you're going to say that we should ban certain adverts because of gender stereotyping, because of the negative influence it can have on society, you are taking a faith-based position, a religious position, which the evidence tells you is wrong. And no one's wrecking with this. No one's, no one's tackling this. The government isn't saying, no, the, we have now got these cultists running these quangos that are making decisions that impact on our culture. Uh, for what? They, that's why I think the government needs to scrap all of that stuff, all of it. Well, the ASA, what they did was brilliant. They, they took the question, you know, can, um, could negative uh, gender stereotypes uh, have a negative effect on society? Yeah. And if you don't look closely at what they did, it, you just would assume, and we looked into this and we found they did, but yeah. they didn't. What they, they, did, they, they, they didn't. got six people together in a room and go, do you think yeah, it's... you, a man and woman that we pull off the street who have no expertise whatsoever, do you think... Uh, man between 38 and 48 you know whatever and they will say yes because the media yeah, is constantly yes I think it could I yeah. will say you know since of these people thought but that's that it could the, the media is constantly yeah. pushing that false narrative but by, by the way they don't need to do market research on this because we've already done the research just 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 read the scholarly articles about it you, we've done it it's in it's done uh, it doesn't it doesn't have an impact this is and my, I can, my big bugbear is the, is the, the difference between opinion and information yeah right exactly and knowledge yeah. I mean, there, there are things that we, we pretty much know and if your opinion goes against that, you better have a fucking good reason. For yeah, it. yeah, exactly, exactly. Unique access to information the rest of us haven't seen. So why is it that everyone buys this? Why is it that? Why is it that comedians buy into this? Why? Why has that happened? I don't know. I mean, I've seen I've seen some cracking shows from people who I I guess I would agree with sort of seventy five percent of what they say. Yeah. I mean, if, if you ask me if I'm a feminist, I would go. What year are you asking me that question? Yeah, exactly. Me because, too. Because like you know. Um, you know, twenty years ago, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not a fourth wave feminist, and I'm not. I don't, don't buy the whole of intersectionality. And, you know, neither do neither do women on the whole. I mean, the minority of women identify as feminists now because it's been tainted by these fourth wave feminists who aren't pro women at all. I mean, the, the the whole concept of fourth wave feminism is that women are weaker, women are vulnerable, and need special protections. Right. Feminism for me is about equality and empowerment, which is what feminism and the term. This is why I. I do still describe myself as a feminist because I hate the idea of these people hijacking that term and turning it in, into mean something that is actually very degrading to women and is underpinned by a very genuinely misogynistic premise. Um, but I think the, the, the problem is that's, that that battle's been lost. So, you know, virtually everyone, 99.9% of the country, believe in equality between the sexes. Uh, only between 7, uh, 7 and 20%, according to the various surveys, but it's low, identify as feminist. What does that tell you? I mean, pe- people mean different things when they say equality, of course. Some people mean yeah. equality of opportunity. Some people mean uh, guaranteed equality of outcome and things like that. Oh, well, that's the problem. Well, the fourth wave feminist perspective is about equality of outcome, mm. which actually isn't a feminist position because that denies women choice. Um, I, well, but it also takes some pretty strenuous um, <laughs> structural it's, it's, reordering. It, it, well, because it's the, the idea, the, the, this sort of um, 
partially Foucauldian philosophy of power structures that dominate society is again a faith-based position. It was a faith-based position when Foucault wrote about it, and it's still a faith-based position now. Um, so, yeah, I think let's say then equality of political, economic uh, um, opportunity and equal rights. Doesn't virtually everyone believe in that between the sexes? I think that's pretty much everyone. I think it'd be hard oh, pushed apart. I don't know anyone who doesn't, let's put it that right. way. And I know quite a lot of people. Um, but you buy this narrative that we live in. Again, it's this, this myth that we live in this misogynistic society. It's the, it's the narratives that are propagated that don't bear any resemblance to truth, which are pushed by the woke elite in the media, in the, these positions of power. We bought into a lie that we live in a country swarming with racists during the referendum. We bought into the lie that people voted leave because they were racist. And I know an awful lot of leave voters. I've never met a, a racist leave voter. I don't deny they exist. I'm sure there are racist Remain voters as well. I mean, I, I, but I have met racist leave voters. Okay, fine. I don't... Because I just met... Racist. <laughs> Fine, exactly right. But I've never met those people, and I, I'm not denying they exist. Like sure. I just said, I'm not denying. But they're certainly not the mainstream. They're certainly not. Well, what, they're I, fringe. what I don't get is if if you're claiming that they are, if you're claiming that that um, the primary impetus behind voting leave is racism. Yeah. Um, leaving aside, I mean, because immigration clearly was a large part of it, but that, that doesn't immigration mean does not mean racism. No. Yeah. If you're on the work left and you think that's the case, yeah. How? How is that affecting your anxiety levels? Well, exactly. Think that more than half the country are, you know, frothing at the mouth racist. How comfortable for you as well, because it, in a sense, it validates you. You're one of the good guys. It makes you feel like you're part of a struggle. Yeah. That you, you know, I think I think there is a self-affirming, uh, narcissistic uh, quality to it as well. And but yeah, sure. In a way, it's not very healthy. We do live in one of the most tolerant countries in the in the world. And how unhealthy is it for your own psychology? to have convinced yourself that there are Nazis around every corner, in a sense, it is, it's quite sad. It's like thinking of, like the Christian fundamentalists, I think back to Stephen Green of Christian Voice, and, and you just think, he was always on Question Time complaining about all these moral problems, this moral decay, and you think, God, he must be so sad. If he thinks, if he's convinced that he lives in this world, it, it must be quite a sad, difficult burden to bear. And the woke left are the equivalent of uh, fundamentalists now, and they they... they they have this baggage as well. It's not dissimilar. No, that's good. And that was a lovely bit in your show, actually, when you um, you kind of asked the audience, where in the world is it better to be an immigrant? Did I? Did I, say, I think you did that, didn't you? I don't remember doing that. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, no, that's Constantine. Yeah. Well, it's one a of, show that you directed. Yeah, it's one of, yeah. our, it's one of the alt-right Nazi lot. It's either me or Constantine or Leo Kirst. Oh, right. Or, or Jeff Norcott. Right. We're, we're the alt-right. Um, or intellectual dark web or whatever the fuck you want to say you know that but that's another good example i was called alt-right uh the guardian called me alt-right but i called spiked writers alt-right and it's it's funny um that even a a mainstream publication like the guardian can't be bothered to google alt-right and find out what it actually means it means white nationalist and are they seriously going to libel me like that well apparently um it's so sloppy it's such it's it's such sloppy journalism it's it's unbelievable the 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 recent thing is the addition of uh, adjacent yeah, I love that. Which then, fascist adjacent. Uh, that's just... <laughs> We're that's all amazing, fascist. isn't it? Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, which of us has... Uh, were you always in control of who stood next to you in a photo or... Yeah. It's scary now, isn't it? Because, like, what if someone asks for a selfie with you and you don't know who they are and they could be, like, generation identity or something like that and you don't you don't know. Because, um, like, also, like, I'm not impolite enough to deny someone that. If someone <laughs> says that, I'm baffled as to why they would want it. But if it's a trick... You know, to try and... Who, who knows? Like, I, I mean, know. imagine if, if I were famous, that would be worse. I'd be constantly worried about people 
you know, trying to... Yeah, you know, just, just unfurling banners behind you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, I just don't... I, this is, I mean, it is something I talked about in the show. I really worry about the guilt by association thing because I'm constantly told that you are, you are normalising people if you talk to them. But actually, the problem we have is that people don't talk. I remember I did a podcast with Sargon of Akkad and um, every now and then someone screenshots that and puts it under my Twitter... Almost to sort of say, well, you can't talk anymore because you've been infected by by him. <coughs> well, we yeah. actually we had a really great discussion and it was really really smart. And we, we don't agree on everything, but we get on. And it, it he you know it was a good it was a good thing to do. And and I don't regret it in the the least. And if someone's going to say, well, you are therefore a UKIP supporter because you know he ran for UKIP, it's like, well, that's not how it works. It's not how political ideology works. Uh-huh. You know, it's not contagious. Um, but also, you can, you can go through someone's entire back catalogue of, of tweets, no matter how drunk, tired, oh yeah, and yeah. flippant, you know, or private, whatever they were when they were um, when they were doing it, and that's that's ridiculous. If you just, I mean, I, I got quite one of those um, having a, a conversation about um, someone on Twitter had decided to get very very offended that someone yeah. was doing uh, an impression of Diane Abbott, right. an impressionist. Yeah, impressionist, right. On television. Yeah. No, That's sort of what their job yeah, is. Yeah, very much. So, oh, Jeremy, and all the, you know, I can't do one. Yeah. But, um, and they, they put up on Twitter this little video, and they'll go, oh, oh, apparently it's fine to just troll black women. On oh my God. That, that isn't trolling black women. That is doing an impression wow. of somebody on the shadow cabinet. A very powerful and political really, figure. Very, very <laughs> well known. And they started going about uh, the, the racial abuse that uh, Dan Abbott got. Wow. And I went, yeah, I'm, I'm sure she doesn't. That's horrible. But this isn't it. That's amazing. And then somebody, somebody clearly did a, a search on my name on Twitter uh, with the words Dan Abbott and found me in conversation with someone else on Twitter. Yeah. Just having a bit of fun during question time. And at some point I had said, Dan Abbott looks like The Rock or something <laughs> like that. And okay. I do... It was years ago. I cannot yeah. remember what the... I can't remember what she actually looked like. I don't know why I said that. But that looks bad out of context. And they just brought this up. And went, oh, well, if that's what you think about black people, then... Did you say all black people look like The Rock? No, I was doing, going to do them one by one. One by one. Uh, right, I was okay, saying, I was on go. the A's. <laughs> but also, someone who tweets... They must know. They must know you're not being racist. They must know that, right? Yeah. So, but, what so, it, I, so I, And I had to... I had a go at this person. I went, that is fucking disgraceful what you've done. Yeah. If you think that's an okay way to treat someone else, that is in such bad faith. And they actually backed down a okay. bit. But why is it though that the people who proclaim to be anti-racist look for racism everywhere and they're desperate to find it? What, what, why are they so desperate to deny the, the tolerance that we enjoy in this country? What, what, what can it possibly be? Yeah. I find that fascinating. And, you know, you, why do you get people like Mumro Birdoff saying overtly racist things like the white race is the most evil force of nature that ever existed on national TV, on BBC One, and no one, I mean, Andrew Neil's there and whoever else, and no one says to her, you're just a racist, aren't you? You're just yeah, a racist. Like, that's genuine racism. Um, but what, what, and you hear it's an explicit racist statement, but because we've redefined racism to mean... We, we have redefined it, right? Well, no, we haven't. The woke people have redefined it for themselves. Generally speaking, we know that racism is looking down on someone because of the, the colour of their skin. Yeah, cho- that's yeah it. Choos- choosing the... Choosing somebody's race as the yeah, it's not the prime defining factor of them, and then having a it's not opinion because of that. Yeah, but the woke people would say it's pre- it's prejudice plus power, so they've added these right. power structures that they've invented in their heads, and they've decided that therefore you can't be racist towards white people. But of course you can, of course you can. What an idiotic thing to say! And anyone who's my my my, my friend whose parents are Taiwanese will, has told me just how racist people are out there to to white people. So I mean, it's not sure. it's, it's not it's not the case. 
Um, I would, of, of course, the truth is that racism against white people is is m- m- not really a problem in this country. You don't, you just don't see it. No, um, I mean it rarely is in a country where you're the vast majority. Exactly, exactly. So it's not an issue. But although I guess it has been. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But but the woke left, I'm afraid, a lot of them are quite racist, and this is this is. There's no other way to describe it. They 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 demonise people because of their skin colour. That's racist. So, I, but I think you know obviously serious cases of that's idiots on Twitter and whatever. It's not a serious problem. Genuine cases of racial discrimination are always going to be against people of colour without without a doubt, and that's what you need to stand up against. But don't try and find it where it doesn't exist. Like the example I give of the, of people saying that the, the the black actor in Cats who's become a white cat <laughs> has been whitewashed, and this is an example of gratuitous racism. I mean, wow. that, 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 that was only a couple of days ago. That's like, but they've turned her into a cat. Like, that, like this is, you, you, you've, I mean, they're just feeding the prejudice that all black people are cats. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> Which is why they're unlucky. Exactly, there we go, there we go. Yeah. I don't know why you'd want to live in a society where you, you pretend there are all these Nazis everywhere. I don't know why you'd want that. I, 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 or are they, or do they genuinely believe it? Is, is, it, a, is it this kind of mash... Mass kind of hysterical delusion. Is that what it is? Well, I, th- I think you can sort of believe something and not believe it at the same time, can't you? Yes, you can. Of course you can. Yeah, of course you can. I, you see, I still don't know the stuff in your, in your show, which bits were true. Do you have a twin? No. Oh, lovely. No, I mean... That's, that's really nice. Uh, uh, I took a couple of friends to the show and that, that bit... I'm ruining it now. For yeah, anyone. yeah, well, no one's going to see it, it's all right. Um, um, I, I don't always tell the truth in stand-up, no. I don't. Just because I was just racking my brain to go, could, could you have an identical twin an inch taller than you? That seems really unlikely. You can. You can. I'm sure you can. Because remember, of course, your height is... It, you, have a, you have a maximum height, apparently. I remember this from GCSO Biology. You have a maximum height in your DNA, but you don't necessarily reach it according to nutrition, for instance. So It'd be weird for your nutrition profile to be so different from your identical twin raised in the same family at the yeah, same time. Yeah, yeah, I know. It'd be fucked up. My, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've uh, identical twin siblings called uh, Genevieve and Control. What? No, no, I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm that seriously. Control was kept in the basement. Genevieve was given everything. That's brilliant. You could do that, couldn't you? You could sort of see. Anyway, let's not yeah. go down that a, a route. Triplets: Genevieve, Shitface, and Control. <laughs> <laughs> Control's just the neutral child. <laughs> oh God! No, no, I don't think it's. Uh, I quite like that idea of in stand-up, just not you know just. Teasing people about what's true and what's not true and what I think yeah. and I don't think. And I also like representing views I don't believe. I, I like doing that quite a lot. What's, what's your favourite view you don't believe that you like to represent? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I did a bit where I was pro-Trump, but that was a couple of years ago. Right. Uh, and I'm not at all. But I wanted to sort of annoy people. <laughs> I, I had a kind of like instinct to annoy them. Um, what else is there? Let me think. Uh, I've done sort of pro... I've done quite homophobic routines. Right. Uh, I've done a thing about basically how it was, it was. That was in my show Zero Tolerance. That must have been about five years ago. Now I did. I did a whole routine about how I can't stand the gays. Can't stand them, and I can't remember why. But I had a whole bit about that, and that's not true. <laughs> I, I quite like them. <laughs> they've got their. They've got their place. Yeah. You mentioned the Danny. You mentioned the Danny Baker um, incident. Well, that's another example, isn't it? Because he, he tweeted a picture, no one in their right mind, and this is another example of, you know, no one thinks, he, he, he wrote that tweet, attached that picture, 
and thought, that's racist, but I'll tweet it anyway. No one in their right mind thinks that. I would have thought that. Yeah. But I was working on a TV show at the time that happened. Yeah. And we were in the green room watching the filming and it turned out to be roughly the mainstream opinion of the people surrounding me was that he thought he could get away with it. What? It was completely incoherent to me. That doesn't make any sense. Why would he... Given the current climate... Yeah. Do you, do you really think he... Why would he think he, he could, A, get... What does that even mean, get away with it? What's the, what's the joy he's getting of this racism? So weird, isn't it? I mean, that, 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 it's such really a no-brainer, that one. Yeah. It's such a no-brainer. But I think it's, I think it's a no-brainer if, you if, you, if you're not looking through that prism. Right. I think if you are, and, you know, like you said, a lot of people just seeing racism everywhere, that's the first thing that occurs to you. And I, I mean, I am I'm consciously aware that Meghan Markle uh, has a black parent. Right. Well, well actually... Of course, is black, but sort of... Well, I just... It's the thing I would think of when looking at her. Well, when the, when, the, when the Danny Baker thing was tweeted, I sent it to a friend of mine almost immediately... And I said, uh, this is going to be a big problem. And he replied saying, but why? He genuinely didn't see why it was a problem. And, and t- well, it turned out in further discussion, he didn't know that Meghan Markle was mixed race. It's absolutely possible not to know it. But if you do know it, and it's front and centre of your brain... You, yeah, you, but what if you know it and you don't really think about it? Which is actually a sort of ideal, isn't it? Where, where we, we don't even <coughs> care about yeah. race to the extent... Well, that, that, that's sort of where I was. But there's yeah. this, this um, what they call in psychology, the false consensus effect, where you just, you just assume that other people have all the same... Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's a weird one. And then, of course, he lost his job over a tweet. God, it's so depressing. Which, that's, that's, that's really horrible. Now, I, I've a bit in my show about... And it's the intro to a story about me recognising someone who's famous for some sort of pop culture reason yeah. and not being able to remember why. And without going to the bit, to intro it, yeah. I have to explain to the audience that I'm not very good at pop, pop culture. Yeah, yeah. I talk about being accused of racism for not knowing the difference between Kanye West and Jay-Z. <laughs> Is that and just that the, an ignorance of like, rap music, was it? Yeah, because <laughs> they, just, they just don't impinge on my life. Yeah. And, but of course people are... It, they go quiet for a bit because yeah, yeah. Well, they don't look similar. Right, but I don't know what either one of them looks like. <laughs> so in your mind they look similar because you, don't, you haven't seen yeah, either of them. But they're just sort of... The, they're both like hip-hop artists and that's very R&B. I don't even fucking know. And then I start thinking, it's a bit like with the Royals. I don't yeah. really know. I wouldn't know Princess Michael or Kent as she walked in here. But Actually, for some I people, know. it would be the most famous person. No, I don't know what she looks like either. But I would know multiple chess grandmasters. Right. Who are <laughs> just interchangeable slash not recognisable yeah, yeah. people. And, that, and I wouldn't expect someone else to recognise the difference between Vladimir Kramnik and Alexei Shirov. No. But I've never me, heard of them. Me, no. <laughs> One of them was world champion for God's sake. Sorry, sorry, I'm not into that. I'm into badminton. Um, but I don't. No, you're right. And and sure, that, that, with that case, that was one of those depressing cases where people. It felt a bit like people were using the opportunity to again show how good they were mm. by by denouncing someone else. But maybe you're right, and maybe it's authentic. Maybe people genuinely thought he he was deliberately promoting a white supremacist narrative. On his Twitter account, maybe. <laughs> okay, maybe they think that. But if they do think that, then they they really have swallowed some some Kool Aid there, haven't they? They've swallowed some kind of. Uh, yeah. It's it's odd. Someone made the point to me. Um, I'd be interested to see what you think of this. That um, okay, so you see Meghan Markle and you don't see a black woman, or you just think this, and you you, you know you just didn't have it in front of your brain. But that's because you're white and you get to not have it in front of your brain. 
Whereas if you if you're a person of color, you uh, you, you think about this all the time. And uh, yeah. Meghan Markle was like, oh my god, someone brown skin like me getting into the royal family that's a really big deal. So you're very very aware of her race. Well, that might be the case for some people of color, and probably isn't the case for other people of color. Mm. Because because again, that that makes the the assumption that all people kind of think exactly the same way. Yeah, again, as somebody uh, a bit racist, DM'd me on, on Twitter because <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was there going, well, a lot of people seem to be able to read Danny Baker's mind today. Yeah, yeah. And somebody DM'd me and went, yeah, he, I, and I used to work with him and he's got this long history of like finding apes in clothes funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forever. Yeah. Well, they're quite funny animals, aren't they? You know, they're quite ungainly and quite, you know... Yeah, well, because they, you know, they look like us, but wrong. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. Any, any time you get to, you know, the, the proportions are out, they're short, but they've got long arms. Yeah. Nice but, and uh, this person wrote to me, listen, I, you know, I think the principle that um, minorities get to decide what isn't isn't offensive is roughly true. And I thought, I don't think it is... Well, no, but it, it, it can't be true because... Because, My, because people who are minorities disagree with each other. Exactly, on what exactly right? So, it some can only some be, black per, a black person saying that's racist can be disagreed with by any other black person saying it's not. It can only be true if you take the racist view that all people are going to think the same way. Right. Yeah. So, but I think... I think Which you know, I don't, because I'm not this, a racist. This, this was a, you know, a, a clever, reasonable liberal person saying this. Yeah, sure. I, think, I mean, I think it's just mathematically untrue. I remember, the, well, I remember feeling this from a very young age when I remember... I think it was 15, 16, I was with a friend of mine, we were walking through the town and there was um, a, a, a protest against abortion by a man, it was a, a Christian fundamentalist man, right. and she said to me, I just don't think you get to have an opinion on abortion unless you, you've got a womb, and I instinctively knew that was wrong, and I straight away knew that we had an, an, a discussion about it, um, but I've always sort of known that ideas are bigger than people, and they're, they're bigger than individuals, and that no one gets to own them. I had the exact same thing said to me uh in, in Edinburgh a few years ago uh, by someone and I just found it a bit you're t- telling half the population they're not allowed an opinion yeah yeah. About, it's, it's, and I'm, I'm not saying like the father of the child has an equal right to uh, an equal say in what happens to the mother of the child well that's up for while debate she's carrying it that's up for debate isn't it but you know you're talking about something happens to the, to the woman's body right you could debate what, the, the, debate what the percentages are whatever but I mean my argument back to her was do you think male doctors should carry out abortions right she went, yes and I went but not have a right to an opinion on yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a mad thing it's a, re- it's a really messy debate that one that's not one I've yet settled my mind on uh, I feel like as yet I haven't heard the sensible debate because both sides of the argument are debating different things mm. you know you've got the, the, the pro-life argument uh, think about what they're called pro-life and pro-choice so by implication pro-life people think that the other argument the other people don't believe in life mm. but of course they do pro-choice the implication being that the other side of the argument don't believe that women should be able to choose and that's not what they think either the debate comes down to not religion or feminism it comes down to does that entity have human rights yes or no that's the debate um, and and we've never had that debate I've never heard that debate I know it is it is going on on the yeah. fringes but that's the only debate for me. Uh, and that, you, you, you're a Catholic background, yeah, aren't you? Yeah. Are you practicing or believing in any... Uh, when I remember. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. I think you I'm said a bad it. Catholic. You said, you said the other night, well, the Pope's lapsed. We're all lapsed. I'm, I'm yeah. not, but I'm not lapsed insofar as I still believe in God, but I'm not, I'm not a good Catholic insofar as I'm not 
regularly at church. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm also, one of my brothers is a priest. I'm at that level. One, oh, one wow. of my many brothers. I'm one of seven kids. Yeah, yeah. Is a priest. Yeah. So that's 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 the level of Catholic. My but I don't is. I don't think religion really. I I am not interested in the religious debate. That's why I'm not interested in the pro-lifers and the way they go about things because they 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 are turning this into a debate about God. And but but if the other side doesn't even recognise that God exists, what that's not a debate. They're just ranting. No, it doesn't work. Um, and if 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 you're talking about a woman's right to choose. Uh, but we all agree that a woman doesn't have a right to choose to murder someone, right? So, so is that entity uh, an entity that can be murdered? Yes or no? If if, <laughs> if if you assign human rights to that entity, then it no longer becomes about the woman's body. It becomes about something else. And we don't have that debate. But I think the law would be okay with a woman killing someone if she found that person siphoning their blood during the night. <laughs> siphoning her blood. Well, actually, no, they wouldn't. Would that, be, uh, would, that be, uh, would that be self It would still you, You'd still be in prison for that, I'm afraid, yeah. We don't, we don't have, it's not like America where... Has someone done this? I just, it's, I can't, I'm not sure if I'm being reminded of something or if I'm thinking it myself, but the idea that abortion has self-defence. That, I mean, that, you see, is another interesting argument, right? That, that, that to me, is a much more persuasive argument. Ste- stealing my food, stealing yes. my nutrients right out of my blood. Actually, it sounds like a quite funny routine. Um, but It might be one. I think look, it- hey, I'm with that. I think it's a parasite. Absolutely. But I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm just saying that that's the debate. This is why I don't really have an opinion on it, because I, 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 I haven't heard enough of the debates on either side, because people aren't having those debates, and I'd like them to do so, rather than just blasting out slogans like pro-life and pro-choice which to me mean nothing i'd like to know do we recognize the autonomy of an unborn entity yes or no and if we do when when does it have that autonomy sure because i think i think we definitely do sort of a day do we not everyone a day or two before birth i mean the the law the law does in america though some democrats are pushing for the idea of, of termination up to the point of birth right um so and, and, and Tolstoy, for instance, used to be in, in favour of termination up to the day after birth. Really? Yeah, I mean, which seems incredibly alien now, but it's, it's the, that's... But yeah, I remember reading about the Victorian practice when, when the poor babies were born and the, the, the woman, they, they just leave them on the roof of the house to freeze to death overnight. They're just, it, it's just a sort of... Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's... Um, that's... <laughs> this has got quite heavy, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's quite a that's quite a Christmas decoration, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? yeah. I don't even want to think about it. Um, but so, like if I say, if they're still if they're still alive in the morning, surely you've got to take them back. They wouldn't be though. Tough one. Very, no, they wouldn't be. It'd be very cold. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we talking about dead babies now? Why did you start this? I don't know. You, I mean, I, I actually do not remember. Um, go on. I don't remember. This is the problem with with, with like, like especially when like today. I'm so tired. I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not in a good mood. I don't know why. I don't have a good reason. I think I must have had a dream that annoyed me. It's <laughs> the only reason I could... Because actually, I had such a fun show last night. The Titanic show was so great. So much fun. Everything's going so well. I have no good reason to be in a bad mood today. And yet, I am. I don't know why. What's going on? I don't, you don't seem in a bad mood. Do I not? Oh, no. that's good. I'm glad. Because I don't want to be rude. And I don't want to come across like in, inhospitable. No. You know? But I don't know, what, I don't know what you're normally like. Maybe you're I, I'm normally full of joy. I haven't offered you a second cup of tea, for instance. I mean, that's not like me. I'm normally more, you know... Well, should we have a second cup of tea? Well, if we do that, do we, can we, do we pause the podcast? Well, we and can pause a... it and come back for a final, final five minutes to let's see... Let's do that, because then I'll probably be all re-energised as well. Well, let's do that. Let's uh, make a cup of tea and we'll rejoin you... <laughs> In um, we've never done a pause, not for tea. Insert your own incidental <laughs> break music here. Hello again. 
Hello, we've got tea now and I've got Diet Coke. Yeah. Weeks have passed since the yeah. of this, of this podcast. <laughs> mm. I've changed my mind on everything. Yes. Everything. So, uh, when did you realise that you were woke? Yeah, I'm so woke now. I've always, I've got quite a woke pedigree, you know, I think. I went to Wadden College, so that's, quite, that's right, the, okay. the wokest of the Oxford colleges. Like yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty woke. <laughs> Do you think it'll eat itself in the end? It already is. Because that's my, I mean, my... Okay, well, for me in the sex, my, my the, what, what I've always likened it to, a little bit, mm. was it's a, it's a, it's a new... It, it, it's, a, it's a new sort of honour culture. Yeah. And honour cultures, you need to demonstrate your honour to other people all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it reminds me a bit of what they used to say about Al-Qaeda when that started. Yeah. <laughs> which is, they started this thing telling all the other Muslims they're impure and they were able to kill them. Yeah. But then when they killed everyone around them, they just turned on each other because... Yeah, that's right. What are you doing except demonstrating impurity in others? It's any cult. It's the Westboro Baptist Church turning on Fred Phelps. It's the right. same thing. Like, you, you can't... And their standards are so ridiculously high. They've got this utopian view of humanity that everyone needs to be ideologically pure in every respect and never make mistakes because they don't believe in redemption. No one can can uh, fulfil those standards. So therefore, yeah, they're all going to go for each other eventually. And um, and I can't wait. Yeah. That, that is a problem, isn't it? Isn't it? Because the... Sta- you know, the... the in social psychology terms, the the currency of prestige mm. in work culture yeah. is um, outrage, victimhood, and calling out. Yeah, and that means that you can never accept an apology. So, that's so right, you're that's quite right. right. So there can never be any redemption. Yeah, because you cannot be the one to to go. I think Louis C.K.'s gone long enough without a gig now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's saying that? Who's you know? Who's saying when someone apologize? So when someone does apologize, as that happens so often. At what, when have you ever seen the woke people say, oh, well, that's it now, leave him alone, that's great, he's, mm. he's one of us now. That doesn't happen. And, and a couple do, and then they're called out. Oh, then, then, yeah. yeah. Well, we all know the history of witch hunts is that actually the people who, who raise any kind of sceptical question about the hunters, they turn on them more than the witches. Right. This is This is the way it goes. So, yeah, I think... Well, the, the witches, I guess, aren't a threat to the witch hunters. No, that's right. That's right. Whereas, the, yeah, the questioners aren't. That's it. So, that, you know, it's like in The Crucible, whenever someone, whenever, when Rebecca Nurse says, says this is ludicrous, something, but she then gets accused of being a witch. Of course, that's how it works. Right. Of course, that's how it works. Yes. You, know? you so kind it, of see that coming to <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So the, this, this it, you know, it, it won't last. The big problem we face, and I, you know, which I've, I've, I've touched on earlier, is that it's the establishment. It's, it's infected the establishment, and yet it doesn't know it's the establishment. So from that perspective, it's going to be difficult to unpick you know, it, it's not like the alternative comedy movement when they were, they were going against the establishment that knew they were the establishment. The woke establishment in comedy and just in culture generally thinks it's the underdog. Uh, so I don't know how we're going to... Uh, I think it will just... Well, that's what my hope... My hope is self-destruction. It, right. it, it will ultimately ha- destroy itself. Um, but you said that's happening already. Well, you see it. You saw it with Sarah, Sarah Silverman this week. Sarah Silverman's been so woke... Uh, she's like a bastion of wokeness, and now she's yeah. even she's admitted she lost a major job because of the blackface sketch she did, which was an anti-racist sketch, if it needs to be said, it, an anti-racist <laughs> sketch. But it doesn't matter. I it haven't seen the sketch, but I was going to assume it wasn't. It, did, I mean, did <laughs> you really racist. think she she blacked up to make fun of black people? Did, you know, does anyone really no, think I'm... that's what? Like, it's so ludicrous. It's so ludicrous. Um, 
but you can still lose a job over it and you and and people won't forgive you jk rowling's another good example jk rowling for a long time was known as being like the big woke icon of twitter right and now because she's liked a few tweets or followed a few people who are considered transphobic or, okay. or called TERFs, trans exclusionary radical feminists. TERF is now the new word for witch on, on, on Twitter. So Yeah, I mean I've seen all, I've seen arguments on Twitter about whether TERF is a term of abuse. Yeah, yeah. Well it well, that's certainly Which the way it's being of, used at the moment. Yeah. It I mean, sounds very exact as a term, but I guess it's also used as one of the abuse. Yeah, yeah. And, and and if you you know, that's another example of a debate we've not had. Uh, and yet people are just, just um, demanding that people uh, subscribe to a certain worldview. So J.K. Rowling didn't even say anything about this. She just liked a few tweets. She also got in trouble with the LGBT community when, when Fantastic Beasts sequel was made and she said that Dumbledore, who she decided was gay, yes. you know how she retrospectively yeah, decides yeah, yeah, yeah. that all her characters are gay. Um, she decided he was gay, but she said we weren't going to have any explicit uh, expressions of gayness in the film. And, and all these gay activists were like, we need to see him getting fisted or whatever. I don't know what they wanted, but like they, they wanted some sort of gay gay on gay wizard action in the film to validate their existence because again they believe in this idea that unless the wizards are having sex gay people will never achieve equality well you know that's what we need we need to see that it's so yeah, it's it is odd isn't it it is like you know it's i don't need to be validated by these figures of the occult <laughs> No. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to uh, how to wrap this up. I think, I think the, wizard the, sex the, is a good wizard sex to... is a good yeah yeah right the way up to the snitch. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to ask, or are you sort of happy with what we're doing? I feel a bit more awake now. Just a bit of diet coke has helped. Yeah, just the caffeine. Yeah, and that, and that, that uh, in a sense, it's that, a shame. That two week break that we the took two week the two week break was good. Wasn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice. Tell you what. I am sort of glad it's coming to an end, though. We're sort of at the fag end now, and it's all a bit... It's very quiet, isn't it, around Edinburgh at the moment? It, it doesn't feel like... It's been as busy this year as other years, and I wonder whether that's to do with the incredible elevation of rents. People, it's, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big deal, isn't it? It's really affected people. Um, uh, the, the rent for our flat, which I, I, I am not paying all of this, isn't right. it? Between, there's been multiple people in the flat. Over there. Yeah. For the month, it's about £3,700. Mm. For a small, small two-bed flat. Now, I don't know why... They, well, this is why it's such a middle-class festival. You know, it's so middle-class. Well, this, this isn't going to help things. <laughs> no, I know. Um, yeah, everyone's so posh here. I, I've, I've been told... I don't know if this is true, but I've been told that the problems have started because the students are allowed now to pay a little bit more and stay in their accommodation throughout the summer. Um, and so that... There's a, cha- there's a change in the rules. There's a, a green uh, MSP... Um, whose name escapes me, but um, they changed the rules so that landlords can't just chuck you out. Okay, yeah. So, um, although a lot of these places might be vacated by August, yeah, uh, it's up to the students to give their month's notice. Yeah. So that means that at the time we were all looking to find a place, yeah. there was just nothing on the market. So the things around the market are through the roof astronomically. Expensive. Okay. And that does have a knock-on effect because so many people stay in the student accommodation here. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, maybe that's it, but it dirt certainly feels quiet. I mean, people have complained about low sales, and also just it's, like even the Pleasant's Courtyard has been pretty dead over the past couple of nights. It's an odd. I've been surprised at what I've been able to get into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 odd, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm glad it's coming to an end, as I always am at this point of the festival. 
what are you going to do next? What are you doing after the festival? I'm going on a holiday. Where are you going to go? Greece. Good Lord. Here in Greece. Where we are yeah, now. yeah, where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for a week, there's a week, and then um, I'm back on tour with Dave Gorman. So I have to land from Greece, get a few hours sleep, and then go to Aldershot for a, to do a set that I will not be able to remember. That's very nice. There's nothing to do with my Edinburgh show. Well, I'm I'm going to go back to Sark, which is where I often go to write stuff. So I'm going there in the Channel Islands, and I'll go. Oh, there. nice! I've got there's a bungalow I normally rent, and I'm going there for two weeks, and I'm just going to uh, sit there and write and not be bothered by anyone because no one lives. Well, there's 500 people who live on Sark, and right. they don't you you don't see them very often. <laughs> you don't hear them because there's no cars allowed on Sark, so it's very quiet. That's the place we're going. There are also no cars. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's just and no advertising. Yeah. Which you don't realise just how much you are assailed yeah. by messages until there aren't any. And, you, and some part of you relaxes. Mm. This is the point. This is why I just, I just want to be a hermit. You know, <laughs> eventually, that's all I want. <laughs> what are you writing on, Sark? What's the, what's the project? I'm writing a political book at the moment, a book oh. about politics and about identity politics and about um, the left, I suppose. And um, As yourself? As myself, yeah. Well, what I thought is, I've, you know, I've, I've sort of... Uh, approach the kind of woke culture through satire and I thought I'd do it through polemics you know I, I mean I do anyway because I write a political column for Spiked right. and, and I wanted to do well I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'll you know what it's just early days I'm, I'm just having a crack at it and then I'll see if I, it's something I want to uh, pursue um, very interesting time to write it I, I, a few years ago I had the idea of writing a sort of big sort of manifesto what I reckon thing yeah. this is a long time ago yeah and then think and I sort of it was on the back burner and then so much changed in the landscape yeah, yeah, yeah. that all of my opinions were just bullshit yeah. or just not relevant yeah 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 just who cares how you think that should be run the money is no longer there and you know yeah yeah exactly and I, I, I feel like it's a good time to sort of try and condense what I'm thinking uh, and to try you know because I, I so I'm also for myself, because I find that writing about my thoughts enables me to refine my thoughts. And I think that's yeah. a really good exercise to do for its own sake, even if it wasn't to be published. I think it's a good exercise to do. Um, and because I'm so continually told what I think by people who don't know what I think, uh, I think it's quite good to have a kind of record of what I actually think. You know, yeah, that'd be helpful. Virtually all of the arguments I get into online are people telling me what I think and getting it wrong. So yeah. it's not, you know, it's not really... I suppose that's just the nature of where we're at in terms of the tribalistic political climate. And if you if you had to recommend a few things to 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 read or watch yeah. or or, or uh, look at whatever anything that you think should be wider known. Uh, well, I mean, do you mean in terms of politics, or do you mean in terms of literature, or do you mean in terms of well, whatever? Actually, but I, I was I was assuming it'd probably be something political, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, there are loads. I mean, there are loads of, of books that I absolutely adore that people have no idea about. Uh, my, the novelists I absolutely love, who no one knows about, are Forrest Reed, who I've written quite extensively about, Belfast novelist who died in 1947. Uh, Stella Benson, who was a suffragette uh, feminist novelist who um, has been completely forgotten uh but wrote some really fantastic books. There's one called The Poor Man, which is just... I started reading it and... Um, I would. I often underline phrases that I particularly find powerful, and I just found that I was doing it all the time, so I had to stop because right. it's every every page. Uh, she wrote a really good book about a changeling. I can't remember what that one was called. Um, and one called The Runaway Bride, which is really good. So she's really good. Um, 
Who else do I really like? I, I like autobiographies. Like, um, I think Father and Son by Edmund Goss is a, an amazing piece of work. And people don't really know about this book. It's, it's about um, uh, Edmund Goss when he was a child. His father was Philip Goss, who was a, a contemporary of Darwin. Okay. And uh, it, it was at that time in history when they, the scientific community was suddenly having to come to terms with evolution by natural selection. And so what, okay. what Philip Goss did as a fundamentalist Christian, he was trying to find a way to reconcile the new scientific discoveries with the Bible. And he came up with this really elegant idea uh, relating to Adam's navel, the, the, uh, the omphalos. And it was this idea that, well, yes, there are these rings in the trees, there are these fossils in the ground, there are things that suggest that there's been a past, uh, but that actually they're part of the design, that it looks like, the, like, like Adam had a navel, even though he wasn't born of a woman, because, because, it, it, okay. it, because it's a to do with the design and the aesthetic of the design, not to do with the reality of the there's but something that's amazing that's like god sort of stressing a leather leather jacket yeah you're right on a that, that <laughs> is human ex- scale that is exactly there is something quite elegant about it it's nonsense but there's something sure. quite elegant about it and what's really good is in the book is it's the sun growing up and the sun has this inherent skepticism and the sun uh and, and it's this it's quite it's really moving and and, and really powerful and it's about someone struggling he's you know his father is realizing that his life his life's faith is just being shaken and he's yeah. desperately trying to cling on to it. And that's, um, and there's a really great moment where the boy stands up on a table and, because it's about his faith, that he loses his faith. He's standing on a table yeah. and he calls on God to kill him. He, he, he says, strike me down. If you're real, strike me down. And it doesn't happen. There's something quite potent about the whole thing. So, yeah. I, I haven't I, heard of that at all. That sounds amazing. It's one of the best autobiography. His autobiography and Forrest Reed's autobiography, which is called Apostate, which is about, I mean, he grew up in, uh, he was born in 1875, so he's growing up in late 20th century Belfast, and he's a pagan, right? If you imagine, like, he has instinctive paganistic sensibilities, and if you imagine a boy being like that at that age, in Belfast in the 19th century, it's bizarre. And it's just that time before industrialization, and it's just that kind of, and it's that thing, the best autobiographies, I think, are the ones where they they manage to capture something about their personality it, and it's someone you could never understand it's someone who's nothing like you but you suddenly find a way to see through their eyes and that's what they both achieved in those in those books so i would say those are really good um in terms of political books that are that are worth reading i would say mark liller's book is a really good one on the, the wants and future liberal i think that's a really good book to read i've recently read uh, uh some joseph schumpeter and i'm not good with economic books but his book on um Capitalism, what's it called? Capitalism, Socialism and Democracy, I think it's called. Uh, I'm probably getting that title wrong. And he's got a chapter in that on Marx, which is really interesting, and the idea of Marx, the faith of Marx, and how it's got a kind of religious quality. um, Yeah, so uh, what else would I recommend? Oh, is that enough? That's probably fucking loads, isn't it? (laughs) That's really a lot. Always interesting to know what's sort of bouncing around people's heads. And I'd always recommend just reading those people you don't agree with. I, I, um, in order to research for the Titania McGrath book, I read a lot of the kind of woke books like Laurie Penny's book, Bitch Doctrine, and Afiwa Hirsch's book, British, and Rennie Edo Lodge, why I'm, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Yeah. And I couldn't be further apart from those people's ideas, and reading them really helps. And it certainly helps reaffirm what I think, because actually it's full of holes. What they're writing is absolutely right. full of holes. But it's also interesting, and, and you do learn things from those people who you don't agree with. Rennie Edo Lodge's book, which I think the fundamental premise of which is wrong, and I think she inadvertently proves that it's wrong in the writing of it. Right. 
but but it has a very good opening couple of chapters about the history of slavery in Britain, and it's in, in and it's asking you to address stuff that we were never taught, stuff that we didn't know about what 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 our government did to to, to people in this country, and that that I think is incredibly valuable uh, material. It's when she starts going on off on the victim stuff later on that yeah. that it doesn't convince anymore, and then you've got people like um. Mark Bray's book on Antifa, which I, which is, he's actually a, a very good writer, but, um, and he does a very good job of giving you a kind of overview of the anti-fascist movement. But then when he's talking about people like uh, the, the, the anti-fascists who oppose Moswell's people on Cable Street, and you're talking about that, and then you're talking about people uh, attacking journalists in, in Berkeley or, or pepper spraying Trump voters with MAGA hats, right? He, yeah. he cannot... He, he just assumes they're the same thing. Right, and in just, this, just allows from one to the other. Yeah, he, exactly. He does the history of anti-fascism and then starts talking about all this stuff. And he's like, but these aren't fascists. You're talking about two different things here and he, he can't make that connection. He doesn't even try, as far as I can see. Um, so, yeah, those are things I think are worth reading um, for all sorts of reasons. Cool. There we go. Well, Andrew Doyle, thank <laughs> you for giving us your Desert Island disc. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should have done. Oh, that would have that? been fun, like just to go through the songs I like and then talk about what they mean to me. Yeah, I'd love we, to do we that. would both sing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a terrible singing voice, but you could sing mine, them. Mine is not that much better. <laughs> so, next time. Next time. Thank right, you so much for doing it. this. It's been, it's been really, really fun. Thank you. Nice time. Bye.